The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I would want to encourage you to open it to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. You can also follow along in the YouVersion app where we have uh, verses and everything lined up in there for our event for today. Um, you know, I was reminded this morning, watching our students um, lead us, I was reminded of just, just how incredibly difficult this thing is um, every single week. Um, I feel like sometimes where I've been doing this so frequently that, that it's easy to stand up in front of a group of people, um, and it's not every single week. And I know for students, it can just be really, really hard and really challenging. Um, so can we just encourage them? Can we just clap and encourage them and thank them for leading us today? One of the things I like about what we did this morning when Cody said, not only are you going to be familiar with some of the songs, but you've seen some of the faces. Um, we have students leading us all the time. We have students who are constantly up on stage, and that's part of who we are. Um, and I'm grateful as a body for the way that you love and support the students of, of Westway Christian Church. One of the other things that I really love is, is when you, I was thinking of how I was going to word this. One of the things I really love is when you do the things that we ask you to do. Um, Last week in our message from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we talked about the responsibility that the body has in relation to uh, the things that are said from the front, the things that are sang from our songs. Um, as, as a church, as church people, as church members, you have a responsibility that if you hear something that you're unsure of, something you don't understand, it's kind of your, you are the check on us. And I love it when you listen. Um, so last week, actually, uh, after, after we were done, someone had a question about some of the lyrics from one of the songs that we were singing. And they did this really amazing thing. They didn't go and gather together as a group and talk about it and complain about it. What they did was they went to Cody and they asked Cody about it. And they were able to have this, just this conversation about, about why we choose the songs we choose, how we choose the songs that we choose, the kinds of lyrics in the songs that we're choosing. And I want you to know that that's, that's our desire is to enter into conversations. And sometimes conversations can be very challenging. Um, as I was preparing and have been thinking about this particular text, hopefully you've read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 um, before you've come in this morning. Um, but I've been reading it and thinking about it and praying through it and prepping for this message uh, probably for several months now. And on Monday, I asked our elders and our other pastors, I said, hey, would you, would you pray for me this week? The phrase that you've heard me say over the past couple months is like, I don't want to be unintentionally antagonistic because um, this is kind of a heavy text and it's weighing a little bit on, on my soul. So I just ask them to pray for me. We've been talking about the things that God's been doing here um, in the body. And we've been talking about how, how people have been responding to what God's been doing. Some, some in obedience and quite frankly, some people in disobedience um, to what God has been doing. And Dave Robinson said, I have a bunch of elder quotes today. Uh, Dave Robinson said, he asked me this question. He said, how forceful do we need to talk about things so that they really take root in the hearts of our people? Man, that's a great question. 
How forceful do we have to talk about things so they, so they take root in the hearts of our people? I've been fascinated by weeds uh, all summer long. Not weed, but weeds. I've been fascinated by weeds all summer long, and I've been pulling uh, weeds out of, of my yard. And one of the things I've noticed is some weeds are really easy to pull out because they have very shallow roots, and other weeds are more difficult to pull out because they have deeper roots. And what we want to do on a Sunday morning or in small groups or Bible studies or, or any of the things, what we want, what we want to do is, is we want the things that we talk about to take root in you so they are deeply rooted. And I, don't, I, I confess I don't know the answer to Dave's question. How, how forceful do we talk about things? But then Dave Paris let me off the hook. He said, our call is not to fix it. Our call is obedience, to be obedient in the midst of it. And that's an answer that I can live with because we're ultimately not responsible for, for how deeply something gets rooted into the soul of other people. That, that's a choice that, that we all have to make. But what we can do is we can be obedient. So my prayer for this week, um, I've been praying for both of us. On one hand, I've been praying for me that I would obediently express what the text says that I would obediently express what the text says. And then the second thing I've been praying is that our body would obediently receive what the text says. So this is, a, this is that reciprocal relationship we talked about um, probably a month ago, how each one of us has a responsibility. We want to be obedient in the way we teach the text, and we want to be obedient in the way that we receive the text. And as, just been, as I've been thinking about this, um, this morning I want to encourage you that we're just, we're just talking about the Bible. We're just dialoguing about what the Bible has to say to us, particularly what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So I'm going to read the first five verses from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You can follow along with me. It says this, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. One of the things that I want you to notice that Paul is praying about here, I want you to notice the kinds of things that Paul is praying about here. And I want you to notice the kinds of things that Paul is praying about for the church in Thessalonica. The kinds of things. So this is, these are Paul's requests for him and his team. That the gospel would be spread rapidly and honored and that they would be rescued from, we, from wicked and evil people. And the thing that I don't want you to miss is Paul is not praying for these things out of concern for himself. Paul is not praying to be rescued from wicked and evil people because he's concerned about himself, his physical self. What he is concerned about is that he would be able to continue to proclaim the gospel. This is Paul's concern. 
Protect us, keep us safe, because there are a whole bunch of people who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's my job, and it's Silas's job, and it's Timothy's job. It's our job to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And if we are being physically hurt, if we are physically killed, if we are being physically persecuted, that might get in the way of my ability to proclaim the gospel. So what Paul is asking is that they would be rescued so that he could continue to proclaim the gospel. And a question that we have to ask is, when we pray for relief, what are we praying for? What's the, what's the thing that our prayer sort of terminates on when we pray for relief? Are we praying that God would be glorified or are we just wanting to be rescued from our own hardship? Paul's example is that he would be rescued so he could proclaim the gospel. And then they prayed for the church, that the Lord would lead their hearts into a full understanding expressed by their love of God and their patient endurance that comes from Christ. Here's Paul's prayer. I don't want you, church in Thessalonica, to rely on your own strength. I don't want you to rely on your own strength. You're going to be tempted to rely on your own strength. What I want you to do instead, church at Thessalonica, church at Westway, church in Scotts Bluff, what I want you to do instead is rely on the strength of God. That's what's going to get you through this. Your own strength, your own courage, pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps, none of that's going to work. What what I am praying for you about is that you would rely on God's strength. These are the kinds of prayers that we want to emulate. That's why on Sunday mornings when we, when we have our prayer time at the end of our gathering together and we, and we hand you those prayer cards at the beginning of every month, what you're going to notice is those prayers are coming right from the Bible. We want to pray the kinds of things that they're praying. Because when we, wa- when we wander away from that, we start to think that we can do these things under our own strength and we need God to do it. We start to think that our hardships and our suffering is about us when God has a greater purpose for them. So we want to ground you in in Bible prayers. Let's pick up the next section here. This is beginning at verse 6. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives. And don't follow the tradition they received from us. For you know you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or a sister. Could we agree that this is an intense text to talk about on a Sunday morning? 
As many times as I've read this over the past several months, it wasn't until this week, I think on Monday morning, when I read it again as I started to work on my message, that I was really kind of, um, kind of shocked by what I read. See, I had sort of made up in my mind as I was, as I was going through this series, I knew that this was, this was going to be the last one. I knew that it's going to talk about some pretty tough things. And in my mind, what I had decided, what, what this was saying and what we were going to talk about was it was going to be a call to the people in, involved and engaged in our body who aren't involved and engaged in our body. It was going to be a call to the people who, who when we've talked about serving, haven't responded. And when we've talked about gathering, haven't responded. Like that, that's kind of what in my mind I had made up what this text was about. So lo and behold, when I, when I opened my Bible on Monday morning again, the first thing I read from this section is stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. How do we do that? What does that, what do you mean stay away from people who are idle in the body? What does this mean? We have to remember a couple things. Number one, we have to ask this question. And I just have a series of questions and I'm going to answer them. I'm going to let the Bible answer them. Number one, we have to ask this question, who is this talking to? Right? Who is this talking about? It would be really easy for us to, to, to think that Paul was writing to the, I think I called it a couple weeks ago, I think I called it the, uh, the, Thessalon- the Thessalonica Star Gazette. Right? Like Paul's writing an open letter to the citizens of Thessalonica, and he's making some kind of political point. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's easy for us to slip into that mode, especially for people who live in western Nebraska, right? If you don't work, you don't eat. That sounds like a great plan. All of those people who aren't working and who are receiving things for free, if you don't work, you don't eat. But that's not, what Paul, that's not who Paul is talking about. Paul is talking to the church. He says it, in fact. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, this is a command. This is a command to the church. He's not talking to the people of Thessalonica. He's talking to the church. It's a command of the entire group. What he's calling them to do is to regulate themselves and to regulate one another to hold one another accountable. See, the entire community of believers are supposed to hold one another accountable. Each one of us is responsible for one another when we are followers of Christ. Each one of us is responsible to hold one another accountable as followers of Christ. That's the thing that Paul is trying to communicate here. I found this great quote says, the church is not an assembly of individuals wherein we take no interest in what other members of the group do or believe. Instead, we are one body in Christ and we need each other as much as the parts of the human body need one another. So this is, this is calling us to a community. This is calling us to something. So I'm going to ask you all to do something right now. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up for a second. You guys can all, if, if you're able, I would love for you to stand up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to act like, I'm going I'm to count to three, and then when I get to three, when I hit three, I want you to act like you have a stomachache. Okay? One, two, three. Okay? 
Perfect. Okay, you can st- stomach ache goes away. Now I'm gonna act. I'm gonna ask you to act like you stubbed your toe. Okay, I'm gonna three. I'm gonna go one, two, three. Then you're gonna stub your toe. One, two, three. Okay, you can have a seat. Did you notice that when you had a stomach ache, the rest of your body responded? You couldn't help it. Some of you said, ow. You couldn't help it. Some of you were, were, were bent over, doubled over. And then when you stubbed your toe, you all kind of did the same thing, like, like that your entire body reacted. See, one of the things that we have to understand as Christians, as people who claim to follow Christ, one of the things that we need to understand is everything that we do has an impact and effect on other people within the body. Even when you don't think it does, that can be good or that can be bad. See, the body has a complete responsibility to one another. It is the role of the church to hold one another accountable, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to support one another, and apparently to confront one another is part of what it looks like to be in a church, in a healthy church. Which is why last week, when someone went and talked to Cody, I, like he, we talked a little bit about it, and I'm like, you know what, they talked to you. We heard it. We heard the feedback. This is, this is the sign of a healthy church where we can confront one another, where we can talk to one another, because we are all impacted by what happens. And I wonder what it would be like for us to, to, to just start thinking along the lines of, when I, am, when I am called to do something, when I'm asked to do something and I don't do it, like how is that impacting and affecting the other people? What's my role as a body? There are a number of commands in this text. The first one is in verse 6, and it says this, Stay away from those who live idle lives and from those who don't follow our example. So then I, I, made a, like, I think there are three questions that we have um, from that. What, what does it mean to stay away from those who are idle? We probably ought to talk about that one. If, if it's a command, we probably need, need some guardrails. What does it mean to live idle lives? And then thirdly, what example did Paul, Silas, and Timothy set? So Paul answers that very first question, what does it mean to stay away at the end? So I'm going to save that for the end. What does it mean to live idle lives? Well, how does Paul answer the third question? If we read through this text, we see the example set was they paid for their food. They could have not paid for their food, but they paid for their food. The example set was they weren't a burden to other people. So this is now starting to translate over to us. What does it mean to live an idle life? To live an idle life means to accept food without paying for it and being unwilling to work for what you get. That's what Paul is describing as an idle life within the church. He describes an idle life within the church is by being a burden on other people by not working. By being a burden on other people by not working. That's what it means to live an idle life in the church. Here's what the Greek means for that word burden. To be heavy upon, to be a weight. 
So the implication that Paul is making in the church in Thessalonica, if you're not working, what you're doing is you are a weight on the rest of the body. You're a burden on the rest of the body. We are dragging you behind us, is what Paul is talking about. And then in verse 11, he continues to define what living an idle life is. Refusing to work. Kind of that Greek definition is living irresponsibly or disorderly. Meddling in the business of others. The English word for that is being a busybody. Being a busybody. I know maybe what I should be doing, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to stick my nose in business that's not really mine. I'm going to meddle in their business. This is pretty harsh, isn't it? Paul is describing this reality for the church in Thessalonica. Here's the second command. Verse 10. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. So we have this question, okay, well, what does that mean? Who is Paul talking about? One of the things that I kind of like to do is I like to talk first about, like, what is Paul not saying? This isn't about people who can't work or people who work from home. There's a really important word in that second command. And in the NLT, that important word is the second word in the command, which is unwilling. Other translations say refuse, those who refuse to work. So what this is talking about, when we think about what does this mean, well, who are people who refuse to work? Who are people who are unwilling to work? I'm in this text thread with some people from Westway who have committed to reading their Bible five minutes a day. We have this little group. And each week we talk kind of through the text that we're reading And I had someone, and I got their permission, but I'm not going to tell you their name. I had someone respond in this way to verse 6. I pray that I do not have idle hands. I do not work. I'm on disability, but I try and volunteer and serve when and where I'm able. What I find so fast, because I know who this person is, what I find so fascinating about this, and I'm going to talk more about this in a couple minutes, what I find so fascinating about this is here, here is someone who is serving, who is engaged, who is involved, who is participating in the body, and their first concern is, oh man, I hope I don't have idle hands. I assured this person that they indeed do not have idle hands. And then I had a team leader express a similar sentiment to me. She said, I guess I just don't know what the best way to balance the need to strongly exhort people to get involved and the need to make people, especially new people trying to figure it all out, feel like what they can do is enough. Does that make sense? See, here's what Paul is saying. He's telling the church in Thessalonica to not cater to the people who are unengaged. Don't give in. Don't cater to the people who are unengaged. The church has no responsibility to provide for those who refuse to work. That's what Paul is saying here. In the church context, the church doesn't have a responsibility to care for those who refuse to work. This isn't about can't work. 
This isn't about I'm on disability. This isn't about I'm a shut-in person. I'm homebound. I'm not able to do this. This is, this is really talking about people who are otherwise able yet refuse to engage in the work of the church. And we, we have to get that through our brains. Here's the third command that Paul gives. This is verse 12. In the name of Jesus, settle down and work. So we have to ask this question, right? What, is, what does it mean? What does it mean to settle down and work? I, I love the Greek. Work with quietness and eat your own bread. Work with quietness and eat your own bread. Here's the translation. Stop depending on others to give you what you're not willing to work for or contribute to. Stop depending on other people to give you what you are unwilling to, to, to work for, to, are unwilling to contribute to. Live responsibly and orderly lives. This is what Paul is talking about. This is how we avoid being idle, is we live responsible and orderly lives. We take responsibility. We stop meddling in the business of other people. This is the thing that Paul is calling this church to because, because it is a, it's so much of a problem that he's talked about in both of his letters. It's so much of a problem that he's dedicated the final third of his second letter to this topic. It's causing a problem within the church. Now the word command isn't used for this fourth one, but it really is. Verse 13 all of you, this is the Mulholland paraphrase. All of you non-idle people don't get tired of doing good. All of you non-idle people, all of you people who are working and engaged and involved and participating, do not grow tired of doing good. The Greek is don't be discouraged by doing what's right. And I think what Paul is, Paul and Silas and Timothy, what they're trying to do for those who are working is what they're really saying is, you guys need to guard your hearts. For those of you who are doing what you're called to do, you need to guard your heart. You need to protect yourself. What does that look like? This is what I want to say to my friends in the body who are working and involved and engaged. What I want to tell you is, don't give those who take no responsibility any power over you. Don't give those who take no responsibility any power over you. Don't let them get into your thoughts. Wonder how come no one else is working? Why isn't anyone else signing up? Don't let them get into your feelings and your emotions. I'm so angry because these people won't serve. Why won't they serve? Don't they see how hard I'm serving? See, when we, when we do that, we're giving power to other people over our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own emotions. And it's really easy for us to get wrapped up in this. But Paul is calling the people who are involved and engaged to guard their hearts, to be on the lookout. And what I would tell you is, 
And this, this is something we're going to unpack at a later message. I don't know when. But the only power that those who take no responsibility have is the power that we give them. The only power that people have that take no responsibility is the power that we give them. And it doesn't have to be this way. We're supposed to guard our hearts. We're supposed to do what we're called to do. As Dave said, now I'm going to paraphrase Dave's thing. Our job isn't to fix it, it's to be obedient. And what I can tell you is, as a chronic person who, who can be frustrated over the lack of involvement and engagement, like there, it doesn't do anything for me, honestly. It just makes me angry. And that's not good for me. That's not good for our body. And it's not good for you. So if you are one of those people who's involved in the gates, I want to encourage you to guard your heart. Don't get tired of doing good. Give some instructions. Take note of them. Distinguish them. Mark them for avoidance. Yikes. Stay away from them. The Greek is don't mix with them. I'm doing a lot of Greek today. Dave, I get a lot of points for today. The purpose of this, this is kind of an uncomfortable text. The purpose of this avoidance it says, is that they would be ashamed. That's a really weird word as we kind of like, we think about that as Christians. Because one of the things like we constantly have talked about in the past is like, there is no guilt and shame for those who are in Christ. And that's a true statement. And yet here's Paul, the same guy who wrote that, says that you are to avoid these people so that they would be ashamed. And then he relieves the pressure. Don't think of them as enemies. They are brothers and sisters. And they are to be warned as such. So part of our responsibility as Christians with one another as the church is to warn one another. Is to admonish one another. To call one another to live out the life that God has for us to live. This call about serving in the church, I've noticed something interesting about it. And it happened in the two instances where people responded to me. What I found is anytime we talk about service and engagement and involvement within the church, the wrong people feel guilty. Here's what I mean by that. I have someone send me a text who's on disability and says, am I doing enough? I have people who serve in different ministries saying, well, I guess I just need to sign up for three more ministries because I really feel badly about this. The wrong people feel guilty. And then the people who aren't engaged, the people who aren't involved, the people who aren't participate, they don't change. And it's so strange to me. What, What is it that's going on here? Why is someone who is on disability coming to me and asking me, am I serving enough? And people who don't serve and engage, like they, they, they continue to not do that. I don't have the answer to that question. 
Dave Parrish said this, this is about putting to work the things that we've learned. That's what the Christian life is about. Putting to work the things that we have learned. So if we are people who are uninvolved and unengaged, our job is to put to work the things that we have learned. That's our job. It's our role as Christians. I am, I'm warning you, I'm admonishing you right now if you are one of those people not involved and engaged. I'm encouraging you to put to work the things that you've been, that you've been taught This is the life that God is calling us to do. So then how are we going to live this out? Are we going to make a list of all of the non-servers and stick it on the door? Welcome to Westway. You sit over there. No, we're not going to do that. But here's also what we're not going to do. We're not going to cater to you. We're not going to give people who don't take responsibility, we're, we're not going to give them any power. Because we are on a mission as a church. We have a thing to accomplish as a church, and that's to make disciples. There's this story that Jesus tells, and honestly, I can't get it out of my mind. It's been there for about four months now. This man goes out to scatter seed and some of the seed falls on the path. And the birds come and they, and they take it away. Then he scatters some more seed. And, and some of that seed falls on, falls on rocky ground. I have a lot of rocky ground next to my house. Seed falls on rocky ground. And, and it sprouts up really quickly. And looks, has all the hallmarks of being healthy. But the reality of it is it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't grow down into the ground because of the rocks. And because that space is on the south side of my house, it's in the sun for most of the day. And what happens is all that, anything that, that, that's there just is burned off almost immediately. I talked about this, I think, two months ago in an email I shared, like how, how easily I was, I was able to pull plants out of the ground, like there's just no root. So the man continues to scatter the seed, and, and some of the seed falls, falls among the thorns. And what happens is those thorns, they choke out the life of the plant. Like it starts to grow because there's some, there's some ground there and it starts to grow and it starts to take root. But those thorns and those weeds, they just sort of take over and they choke, they choke the life out of this good plant. So he continues to see so and then some falls on fertile soil. And this is the good soil. Right? And the, the plant takes root and grows and produces, produces 30, 60, or 100 times what had been sown. And I think the question that we kind of have to ask then, because Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven when he says this. So when Jesus uses that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, he's describing heaven and he would know because he's been there. What he's telling us 
is the way God's kingdom operates. He's telling us the economy of God's kingdom. This is how it works. And a question that we have to ask is, which soil am I going to be? Like what, what soil am I going to be? When we gather together as a body, our job here from the front and from those who are serving and all of the, like our job is to sow seeds, to cast out into the different soils that walk in our doors on a Sunday morning. So we're going to do that. And the question that we have to ask is how, how deeply are those roots going to grow? Are they just going to be carted off like the millisecond we walk out the door and all of the cares and concerns that we have for the day, they just, whatever seed was sown is like, we just completely forget about it. Sometimes we walk out the door and we think, yeah, you know what? We've heard, we've heard a lot about this, about involvement and engagement. And I know I really should do that. I'll do that tomorrow. And then we go home. And then we come back. Right? And there's no root. I think for some of us, when we, when we walk out the door, we hear this and just like life takes over. Which is really kind of interesting because for a number of chapters between 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, the only thing that Paul has talked about is you have confidence in who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. So all of those things that you get yourself wrapped up in and all of the things that, that take your eyes off of me, I've got this. And what I just need you to do, my Christian brothers and sisters, is live the life that God is calling you to. This root gets choked out. But then some of us leave because we're fertile. And we're involved and we're engaged in what God is doing. And, and we're, we're starting to see fruit of that. A month from now. Think literally a month from now. We're starting on Wednesday nights with our Wednesday night midweek program for children and students and Embrace Grace and adult small groups and like for, for everyone. And what's so interesting is up until last year, we didn't have that program in existence. We weren't, we weren't doing this on Wednesday nights. And we went from no program on Wednesday nights to having 120 plus people in the building on Wednesday nights. See, this is, this is fruit and what God is inviting us all into is to participate in the fruit, to be involved and engaged. And John Thomas said this, how am I cultivating my heart and my soul in order that I might receive the total work of the Holy Spirit? See, this discipleship is a, it's, it's a two-way street. We, the church, like, like that's all of us, not the organization. It's all of us. We have a responsibility to sow seed into the lives of one another. And then also we, the church, have the responsibility to accept the seed that's been sown. 
to receive the seed, to cultivate our hearts to receive the seed that's been sown. And this is just the gospel. So as we ask that question, what are we going to do? We're not making a list. We're just going to proclaim the gospel. What we're going to do as we think about how we have nothing to do with those who are not involved and engaged in the mission, we're just going to share the gospel with you. Not just in our words. We're going to demonstrate the gospel to you. We're going to show you that we love you each and every week by being around you, by having friendly greeters at the door, by having people who serve at our welcome counter, by having people who welcome you when you drop your kids off, by having teachers to lead your children during our 1015 by having people who serve in our coffee area, by having people up here to lead you in song, to have people in the two booths that we have so that we can broadcast online and we can do this here, by serving in our food team for funerals and other events that happen, by serving in our, like there are a thousand things See, we're just going to love you. And I think what's going to happen at some point, and I believe this is what Paul is getting at, is that for those of you who are uninvolved and unengaged in the ministry, you're going to be embarrassed. Because you have received such an overflow of love. And what you're going to do is you're going to ask yourself, why aren't I doing this? Why can't I do this? This is the thing that Paul is calling us to as a church. And in these last three verses, this is what Paul prays for. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. I do this in all my letters to prove there for me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. See, it is in God alone that we find peace, and it is in God alone that we find grace. This isn't something that we merely understand. This isn't something that, that merely takes a little bit of root in our hearts. This is something that's demonstrated. And I've pulled some plants out of that little, out of my little garden areas that have some pretty long roots that are deeply embedded in the ground. This is what God wants for us, is for us to receive what is being sown over us week in and week out and to become fertile soil. And what that's going to require is humility from us. This morning, Cody read part of Philippians chapter 2 in the creative arts Devo time. And I'm just going to read part of Philippians chapter 2 to you, and then we're going to pray. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? 
Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This is the call to the church to love and serve one another. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he, was not, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our example. This is what's been set for us. And if we are followers of Christ, that's the example we're going to follow. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that your word has difficult conversations with us. I'm thankful that your word is intentionally antagonistic, revealing to us our shortcomings, but not leaving us in them, revealing to us our need to reach out to you, and also revealing to us the way to reach out to you through your son, Jesus. God, what I pray as we, as we finish this series, as we've studied your word, that we would not just be encouraged, but that we would be encouraged to encourage. That we would see the work that you are doing that we would ask ourselves, how can we be involved and engaged with it? And then we would humble ourselves and participate in that necessary work. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.